0: Do any of the following acronyms mean anything to you? BMI, GF, GI, RDI. Well, if they don't mean much to you, they do mean a fair bit to our next guest. Can you please welcome Trish Guy, who's going to help us with our diet? Trish, welcome. Great to have you here this morning. Thanks for coming to speak to us. Lovely to be here and be with you all. Uh, Trish, tell us whereabouts. Are you a born and bred coasty?
1: No. No, I'm from the Hunter Valley, but now call Lake Macquarie home.
0: Okay. Well, you've made a trip to the Central Coast. You could get stuck.
1: Yeah. It's okay. I work here. I'm very familiar with it. Okay.
0: Uh, tell us about your work and your experience as a, an accredited practising dietitian.
1: Yeah, I'm um, an accredited practising dietitian, I I work for Sanitarium and um, manage the nutrition team there. So I have a wonderful team of um, dietitians working with me, and I guess our mission is to share our knowledge about healthy wholesome plant foods with not only the people we work for, um, but the community as well.
0: Um, Now, a bit of a true confession time, what's your favourite foods?
1: Oh, I'm happy to say my favourite food is dark chocolate.
0: Dark chocolate. (laughs) Absolutely. Very responsible, Trish. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Trish, it's uh, great to have you here. We're looking forward to hearing what you have to say. I'll leave you to it.
1: Thank you. (laughs) you, i just thought I'd start by asking who knows or may have even themselves tried um, following any kind of low carb or paleo or even a gluten-free diet in the past or now. Yep. Yep. Well, just before I get into my talk, I just wanted to to start by saying I am going to be talking in my 20 minutes quite generally about nutrition and some of these diets that are out there, but I certainly wanted to let you know that I appreciate that everyone has their own food preferences and preferences for ways of eating as well as your own specific health needs and health goals. So I just wanted to let you know that I am mindful of that, but in the time I have today I am going to be talking quite generally. Um, well, just, it's interesting that um, a, a number of you mentioned that you have tried some kind of low-carb or a paleo diet. Um, low-carb diets have actually been around since the 1960s, but it was really Dr Atkins that brought these types of diets to the masses. Although it's not strictly the same, the paleo diet, when you actually drill down to the nutritional profile and the foods that are encouraged, is very similar, or basically a variation of a low-carb diet, but there are some uniquenesses to each. Paleo, people who promote the paleo diet um, claim that the secret to health is to eat like our ancestors from the Paleolithic or pre agricultural period did. In terms of what you eat, paleo and low carb diets tend to be high in meat, including processed meats, as well as poultry, fish, and eggs. They include high fat dairy products like butter, cream, and cheese, although not on the paleo diet because paleo um, advocates recommend excluding all dairy products, but they're also limited in grains, so basically no breads and cereals, and they're limited in starchy vegetables like potatoes and corn and fruits, and there's also no legumes. The paleo movement claimed that um, many of our health problems are due to this shift from a hunter-gatherer lifestyle to an agricultural lifestyle which occurred about 10,000 years ago. They also claim that it's the only diet compatible with our genes and that we haven't evolved to eat grains and legumes, or dairy for that matter. But I guess as a nutritionist, I like to look at, you know, the the evidence for these types of diets and what might be some of the concerns. But I think it's important to actually look at what are the advantages of some of these types of diets, whether it be paleo or low-carb. And I actually think there are a number of advantages of these types of diets. And um, the first one is um, there's definitely advantage to these types of diets if it means you focus on reducing your intakes of high sugar, highly processed foods and meals like pizzas, soft drinks, fluffy white bread, cakes, biscuits, pastries, etc., and fries. It also is a great advantage if it means you're going to focus on trying to eat more uh, veg- fresh vegetables or any kinds of vegetables, nuts and seeds. And definitely, it also is a fabulous thing if it means that you're actually taking a greater interest in um, in, and more time in your own health and well-being. So you're taking more time to shop and cook and prepare healthy, wholesome foods and meals. But there are significant concerns of these types of diets. And this is um, due to the elimination of core nutritious foods like whole grains, limitations on fruit, as well as um, no legumes and dairy products. As well, what do you eat more of? And, you know, there are concerns about eating lots more meat, particularly fatty meats and processed meats, as well as cream and cheese. Basically, low-carb and paleo diets, in my view, are a great concern because they're high in meat and animal foods, but low in plant foods. There are other considerations as well, such as the cost. Whole grains and legumes are not only nutritious, but they're really economical food choices. Uh, We did some work uh, a few years ago um, at Sanitarium, and we costed out um, what what the cost of a healthy plant-based diet would be, and we compared that to the cost of a meat-containing but still relatively healthy diet, and the plant-based diet was about half the cost of a meat-containing diet, and that's a big issue for a lot of people. A lot of the claims made about the paleo diet, you know, they sound quite intriguing and and engaging, but what do we actually know about it? Well, experts in the area of anthropology actually have dispute a number of the claims made about the paleo diet. And they have found evidence, for example, that stone tools were used to to grind grains and seeds. So the claim that grains were not eaten back then is probably false or very likely to be false. They've also found fossilised dental plaques showing the remains of plant foods, including barley, legumes, and tubers. It's also claimed that today's foods were eaten by our paleo ancestors. But we know that today's foods are quite different. For example, beef that we buy at the butchers or the supermarket has about five times the fat content of wild game. Insects were primarily eaten back then. And people gathered more than they hunted, So an abundance of plant foods was eaten. In fact, there's evidence to suggest that average fibre intakes were over 100 grams a day. That's about four times as much as what most of us here would be having. There was also no one single paleo diet. What people ate back then really depended on what was available in their environment. And often days would go by before they would have some um, animal foods. But what about some of the nutritional concerns? I think these are really important to look at um, in a little more detail. One of the major ones is that paleo, even low-carb diets, tend to be high in protein, particularly from animal foods. And that's a concern because there's a number of really large population studies that have shown high intakes of protein from animal foods is associated with a higher body mass index, so a, a greater body weight. But high intakes of protein from plant foods is not associated with increased weight. High intakes of red and processed meats particularly have also been shown consistently to increase the risk of developing colorectal cancer, one of Australia's leading causes of cancer, as well as type 2 diabetes and heart disease. Red and processed meats in large amounts can also increase markers of inflammation as well as increase overall the risk of dying. Um, A meta-analysis published a few years ago, and a meta-analysis is when they take all of the studies done on a particular area and they group all the results so that they can get a bigger um, picture of what's actually the evidence is showing. And they actually looked at the studies on low-carb diets um, and found that people following low-carbohydrate diets actually developed high levels of LDL, or the bad cholesterol levels in the blood. And as well, it was also shown that they impair the function of the arteries. Another recent uh, meta-analysis, which included over 270,000 people, so huge numbers, found that low-carbohydrate diets, particularly those high in animal foods, was associated with an increased risk of death from all causes by 30%. So that's quite significant. Another uh, concern about Um, paleo and low carb diets is when lots of foods high in saturated fat are eaten in place of plant foods. But the issues of saturated fat have become a bit clouded recently with the publication of some recent studies suggesting saturated fat is no worse than other types of fats or carbohydrates. But let's look at why some of this confusion has occurred. In the 1970s, eating too much saturated fat was strongly linked with increasing our risk of developing heart disease. And today, the evidence does remain strong that eating lots of foods high in saturated fat is not good. But why has there been this confusion recently? Why have we seen Time magazine front covers saying, ''Butter is back.'' Well, as concern about fat and saturated fat began to emerge, It was unfortunate, but there seemed to be this message sent that all fats were bad. The food industry responded to this by starting the low-fat or fat-free craze and and helped send this message that all fats in foods were bad. But as they removed fats from the foods, refined carbohydrates and starches and sugars were added back because we still wanted the taste and the feel of fat in our foods. And sugars and starches did this. So you think fat-free salad dressings, low-fat mayonnaise, fat-free chopped chip biscuits. Can they really be good for you? Well, of course, probably not, and we've seen the results. So we've seen obesity, heart disease, type 2 diabetes, etc., increasing. So I think when you look at these studies, you need to actually consider what the alternative to saturated fat is. In most cases, the alternative or the comparison to saturated fat has been to refined carbohydrates and starches and sugars. So it's not surprising to see that saturated fat doesn't turn out bad because you're comparing it to something equally as bad. I hope that makes sense to you all. It's quite a complex um, uh, summary of the science, but basically saturated fat is being compared to something equally as bad, so surprise, surprise, it comes out okay. Another reason for the confusion in these studies has been the tendency to focus on a single nutrient in foods and relate that to health. But we know that foods contain an abundance of nutrients, all working together to promote health and interact in the body. There's rarely a single food that's simply comprised of one nutrient. Even water contains some minerals. This includes foods high in fats. So we know fatty foods like beef, um, dairy products, olive oil even, and butter contain a mixture of different types of fats, all in the same food. And these include saturated, polyunsaturated, and monounsaturated fats. However, one of those types of fats is present in the greatest amount. So in meat, saturated fat is there in the largest amount. So meat typically is referred to as a food high in saturated fat. However, even meat contains a small amount of healthy monounsaturated fats. Uh, Similarly, with olive oil, um, we hear and see it as a healthy monounsaturated fat, and that's because of all the fats there, monounsaturated fats are there in the greatest amount. However, even olive oil contains a very small amount of saturated fat. But if you look at research studies that single out one particular nutrient and look at the health effects of that, such as saturated fat, you can't tell where that saturated fat is coming from or the carbohydrate it might be being compared to. So as an example, did you know that 35 grams of white chocolate has the same amount of saturated fat as 90 grams of cashews? Does this mean white chocolate is as healthy as cashews? Well, no, it doesn't mean, because if you look at where the saturated fat is coming from with cashews, you're getting so much more nutrition compared to the white chocolate. So to, I guess, help with some of this confusion um, that occurs when we just look at single nutrients, researchers are now starting to look at food patterns and what they call dietary patterns and looking what foods people eat in these research studies and relating them to what health um, benefits or otherwise they might have. And this type of research will help, helps us give um, a better view of the types of foods that we should be eating for good health. Uh, So, in summary, I guess the message I wanted to say is that butter is not back. Red meat in abundance is not back. Um, The studies about saturated fat haven't proven that these foods are good for you. We still know that meat and um, butter and other foods are harmful in large amounts. It's the choice of the alternative that makes all of the difference. So when foods high in saturated fats are replaced with wholesome foods high in healthy fats, we see health benefits. And that's the message that our dietary guidelines still convey. So I've talked about how low-carb, paleo diets tend to be high in animal protein foods and saturated fat. But what are you missing out on by following these types of diets? Does it matter if you only eat low amounts of carbohydrate or no grains, etc.? Well the brain actually needs about 140 grams of carbohydrate per day. And what that means, it doesn't matter. Um, but in comparison, some low-carbohydrate diets are encouraging me to eat as little as 40 grams of carbohydrate a day. So think brain fog. <laughs> I know if I don't have my carbohydrates, I simply cannot concentrate. It's not only just the carbohydrate, but the types of foods are important as well. We know that um, foods high in carbohydrates—it's um, it's the food that is important to look at. So just like with saturated fat, it's important to look at the total food package. So I just wanted to talk about carbohydrate foods in a little bit more detail. So um, one way, you know, we distinguish between good fats and bad fats. And I guess what I would want to encourage you to think about today is to think about good or quality carbohydrate foods and and bad or, or poor refined carbohydrate foods. And what do I mean by by that? Well, quality carbohydrate foods are things like fruits and vegetables, including um, potatoes and corn and uh, um, sweet potatoes. They also include whole grain breads and cereals, as well as legumes. But refined or bad carbohydrate foods are things like lollies, soft drinks, um, bread, fluffy white bread, cakes, biscuits, fast food, takeaway food, French fries, etc., So I hope you can see the difference between quality carbohydrate foods and poor quality or refined carbohydrate foods. Do you think quality carbohydrate foods and refined carbohydrate foods are equal in terms of their healthfulness? No. No, definitely not. Lentils are nowhere near like lollipops. Kidney beans are nowhere near like jelly beans. Wheat Bix or porridge is nowhere near the same as Cocoa Pops. But the problem with these diets that say, cut carbohydrates, per se, is that they're not distinguishing between the types of foods where the carbohydrates are coming from. So it doesn't tell you if you get different effects from having jelly beans or kidney beans. And there's actually a lot of health benefits from eating these quality carbohydrate-rich foods like whole grains, legumes and fruits. I love whole grains. I have them every day. If I don't have my wheat bix or porridge, I just cannot function. And and that's because they're not only filling and satisfying, but they're really nutritious, wholesome foods. Whole grains have got lots of nutrients in them. They provide protein, they're high in fibre, they provide vitamins like vitamin E and B vitamins, as well as minerals and antioxidants. Some whole grains um, have the same, if not higher, amounts of antioxidants than fruits and vegetables, including blueberries. Eating whole grains helps give you that feeling of satiety after eating and helps control blood sugar levels. They also help improve cholesterol levels, particularly oats and barley, and they've been associated with some long-term health benefits. Eating um, whole grains has been associated with a 20 to 30% lower risk of developing type 2 diabetes. They've also been associated with developing, uh, having a lower risk of developing a variety of cancers, and up to a 40% lower risk of developing heart disease, equal in effect to statin drugs. That's quite significant in my view. There was a review published just two months ago, which I was very fortunate to read, and what they did, the researchers looked at all the big studies on food groups that have been done since the 1950s, and they wanted to understand which food groups were associated with increasing chronic disease risk and those with decreasing the risk of various diseases. Guess what the review concluded, or what one of the conclusions was? Eating whole grains is healthy. They found that whole grains, um, particularly, protected against developing obesity, type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and some cancers. What about legumes? I also love legumes, um, and I have them probably four to five times a week. There hasn't been as many research studies, which doesn't mean to say that they're not as healthy. There just hasn't been as much research in the area. But the research that has been done has shown that eating legumes regularly helps control our weight, helps control blood sugar levels, and helps um, increase satiety, so feeling a nice feeling of fullness after a meal. And legumes are nutritional powerhouses. They are high in protein. They contain low, low GI or low glycemic index carbohydrates. They're rich in fibre and different types of fibre which are really nourishing for our intestines. They're a good source of a range of minerals including iron and zinc, minerals which we typically associate with meat, but also b group vitamins as, and folate. Eating legumes has also been shown in studies to lower cholesterol and triglyceride levels. And they've also been linked with long-term health and, in, and increased longevity. In the review I just mentioned before on whole grains, legumes were also found in that same review to be associated with less diabetes and cancer risk. So wh- what does all this mean in terms of eating for, over, for overall health? Over several decades, there's been a large number of populations... St- So studies involving thousands of people. And these have consistently shown that food patterns, dietary patterns that are low in meat and high in plant foods are consistently associated with improved health. These include plant... and these are generally plant-based diets. So they include the Mediterranean diet, which I'm sure many of you have heard about. They include the people who follow vegetarian diets as well as the DASH diet, which was a special diet designed um, by researchers to help control blood pressure. But these are all low meat, high, and with an abundance and variety of wholesome plant foods. Do you think there's any long-term low carb or even paleo studies that show these long-term health benefits? There actually aren't any. What about gluten? Another uh, favourite one of mine, Um, I've got lots of friends who've tried going gluten-free for a number of different reasons. But I just wanted to talk about, you know, generally who should avoid gluten. Well, it's well known that people with the condition of celiac disease must avoid gluten. And this affects about 1% of the population. And the only way that people with celiac disease can manage their health is to strictly avoid gluten long term or for the rest of their life. But does everyone else need to avoid gluten to lose weight? Will gluten-free help reduce bloating? Is it the secret to arthritis, osteoporosis, brain fog? All things that we've said, you've certainly seen written about why to follow a gluten-free diet. I actually think, I don't have time to go into the details of this, but um, there really is little evidence that gluten per se needs to be avoided by anyone other than people with celiac disease. That, that's a very general statement I appreciate, and as I said before, I appreciate you may all have your own health um, concerns, but generally where the science is, for people with celiac disease, really that's the only group who need to avoid gluten. There are a group of people who do experience uh, some symptoms of celiac disease, but, um, such as bloating, um, but upon investigation don't actually have celiac disease. Uh, This condition is called non-celiac gluten sensitivity or, more recently, has been um, called irritable bowel syndrome. And people say that their symptoms resolve or disappear on a gluten-free diet. But it's unlikely um, that gluten per se is causing these um, gut problems in this group of people. And this is based on relatively new research from Monash University in Melbourne. Well, I could do a whole other talk on this topic alone, but um, essentially, for most people with irritable bowel syndrome, the problem is not gluten. It's a variety of foods that that provide a whole variety of different types of carbohydrates that are causing this problem. So it's really important that if people have gut symptoms, that you seek a proper diagnosis and management by a a dietitian with expertise in this area, because there can be lots of problems when you're following a a gluten-free diet um, without that medical or or nutritional um, supervision. I'm happy to talk with anyone afterwards about that, but I don't really have time to talk much more detail on that. But what about um, the nutritional aspects of a gluten-free diet? I've seen written that um, gluten-free diets um, are perceived to be healthier for us but um, we know that eating gluten-free diets can increase um, the likelihood of people not eating enough essential vitamins and minerals and nutrients. Gluten-free diets, um, from research done here in Australia and the UK, have been shown to be low in a variety of nutrients, including fiber, uh, a range of B vitamins, and as well as the minerals calcium, iron, and zinc. I had had a look a bit of, um, a look recently at gluten-free foods and their regular, I guess, counterparts. And gluten-free foods can often be quite lower in fibre and higher in refined starches than um, their traditional gluten-containing equivalents. So, you know, gluten-free foods can be quite nutritionally inferior. Gluten-free diets are also very challenging. They're quite restrictive. Um, So it it can be quite challenging when eating out at places other than than at home to eat healthily on a gluten-free diet, plus they're much more expensive, about two to three times more expensive to follow a gluten-free diet. Than it, compared to a standard diet. I was just looking at some of the gluten-free breads and wraps and cereals and, you know, a packet of gluten-free wraps was about $2 more expensive than a packet of regular wholemeal um, wraps. So, yeah, lots, lots more expensive to follow a gluten-free diet. Um, so just in summary, I just wanted to say that gluten-free diets are definitely essential for some people, particularly those with celiac disease. And I would encourage anyone else, if they feel that they need to follow a gluten-free diet, to please ensure that you see appropriate medical and and dietetic help. But I just wanted to, and I know I've only talked very briefly, but um, based on my reading of the, the, the evidence and the science, I think it's safe to conclude that gluten doesn't make us fat and sick, nor for that matter does wheat make us fat and sick. It's actually what we do with with foods that contain gluten and wheat that stains the healthfulness of these important foods. So we take wheat, we take other grains, we turn them into fluffy white bread, we turn them into biscuits, donuts, pizza, hamburgers and sticky muesli bars. These types of foods, um, on average, are providing over one third of the total energy intake that Australians are having. So that's a lot of our total food intake coming from these, I guess you could call junk foods or treat foods. So it's not surprising if people go on a gluten-free diet and they cut out all of those foods, that you can start to feel better because you're eating a lot less junk and you probably, well hopefully, might be replacing with with more vegetables or more fruit. I guess a nice quote, and I love the work of Dr. David Katz. He's a medical uh, doctor from the US, but he's also an amazing, gifted writer, and it very, has a really good understanding of nutrition. Now, I've got a couple of quotes from him in my talk today, but the first one um, he says, which I think sums up what I've tried to talk about in terms of carbohydrates, paleo, saturated fat, gluten, etc., cetera, is, is one that he says, "'No one food, food group, or nutrient "'is responsible for the prevailing ills of modern epidemiology.' Any more than just one thing can fix it all. So where does this leave us? Um, I mentioned looking at dietary patterns earlier. So that is, what foods in what combinations are associated with good health? So based on large studies, we know that food patterns that emphasise an abundance and variety of whole plant foods, whole grains, legumes, fruits, vegetables, nuts and seeds, are associated with lower chronic diseases, like cancers, diabetes, heart disease, and increased longevity. And the health benefits of these types of diets is due to a whole range of factors that contribute to health and well-being. So in other words, it's not just one thing that's important for good health. There's a range of good foods that we need to eat to get all of the health benefits possible. Our dietary advice hasn't really changed over the last few decades. It still is to eat plenty of fruits and vegetables and legumes, choose whole grain varieties of breads and cereals where possible, cut back on junk foods and alcohol, go easy on animal products, and if you do, choose fish, chicken and eggs preferably. While the advice around fat has evolved, so it's not avoid all fat, The advice that is current today and backed by evidence is still to try and minimise the intake of foods rich in saturated fats, and in preference, choose foods rich in healthy poly and monounsaturated fats. Um, These include um, fatty fish, nuts and seeds, and healthy plant oils. I guess one quote um, that I think sums up an approach to eating, which I... A philosophy I try to follow with my family is from a guy called Michael Pollan, from the, another American writer, and he wrote a book called In Defence of Food. And he sums up how to eat in three statements. He says to... And you know, hopefully you can... If one thing you can remember from my talk today is this. Um, he says to eat food, so, you know, and I mean real food, foods that you cook and prepare and wholesome, minimally processed foods... So eat food, not too much, mostly plants. And just one thing I'll, before I finish on that I just read yesterday that I just thought was perfect to share with you today was another quote from my favourite author, David Katz. And it really is a... You know, um, you mentioned New Year's resolutions before I came up. And we do tend to think about diet change at this time of year. And um, David yesterday wrote about, you know, this time time of year of making resolutions, and he gave five really great tips. Hopefully you can remember some of them. And he basically says that he encourages us all in our resolutions to resolve to know that overall nutritional quality trumps any nutrient in isolation. Isolated nutrients neglect the big picture of the complexity of foods. He he says to resolve to get ready and set before you go. So you need to learn how to eat well. He encourages to trade up our choices rather than denying choices. So giving up foods is really hard. He encourages us to make better choices such as oats or any other whole grain cereal instead of something like Cocoa Pops. You'll be getting so much more by doing this, and you're not having to deny yourself. He also says to rehabilitate your taste buds. You, you really need to do that. So, trading up our choices, making better choices, it helps us to learn to enjoy wholesome foods. And finally, he says to take your family with you. If you focus on eating better, so eating more wholesome foods overall, There's benefit for your family joining in, plus it's more sustainable. Being on a diet on your own is really hard. So on that note, I might just leave it. Thank you.